hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I am here with Jason. Hey, hey, everyone. What's going on? What's up, my dude? Doing all right about yourself. <sighs> I'm in that post-melancholy of the end of October, yeah. the end of Halloween. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're beyond it now. We have to pack away our decorations. and We don't have to. And, you know, go back to still just watching horror films all the time, <laughs> right. like we always do. And still being surrounded by horror memorabilia <laughs> and paraphernalia. Yes. But now it's it's a little less magical, you know? Yeah. Um, but with our horror block over for October, we have a listener episode. And we're going to keep that horror vibe going just a little stronger. Yay, more horror. And we are checking out today, from last year, Zack Kreger's Barbarian. Mm. Not to be confused with Conan the Barbarian. No. And actually, well, we'll probably get into it, but we need to talk about this title even, because it's mm-hmm. somewhat mystifying why that's the title. Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll get into that. I've got some theories, and I've got some thoughts. Um, this suggestion came to us from Jessica. Yay, Jessica. Well, thank you for this. Fun little insider baseball on this. Um, she is married to Colin, a founding movie club member. Mm-hmm. And she's actually joined us back in the day when we did the movie club for yeah, some of the films. Sure did. I remember when we watched, uh, what was it, The Chaser, and we were all very kind of mixed about it. Some some liked it more than others, and then she started like diving into Google and researching the actual like true serial killer it was based on. It was giving us all this extra context. I'm totally drawing a blank on that movie. Uh, it's it's the one where the dude runs around a lot and long long chase scenes. Ergo the Chaser. Yeah, Ergo the Chaser. Okay. It's still not coming to me. (laughs) Uh, I was a little colder on it myself, but, um, you know, it's pretty well regarded, so. Okay. I'll have to go back and refresh my memory. (laughs) I mean, I've seen so many freaking movies. Sometimes they just blend in and you forget things. It's only three or four years ago. Dude, it's been a fucking crazy (laughs) three or four years since then. But yes, thank you for this. Um, Got a lot of hype last year. And I never watched it. I just never got a chance to see it. And then when the suggestion came in, I said, ooh, I'm going to wait and do it. First mm. first impressions for the podcast. I had seen it before, uh, but it was fun to revisit. Cool. Well, before that, though, we're going to do all our usual shenanigans, talk about what we've been watching, all that good stuff. And, you know, we are part of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. We are, proudly. Proudly. And there's many other cool podcasts on that network you can go check out. Ones that we kind of rant about all the time because we're really into them. But then also there's many more that you can go out and discover for yourself and find the right little niche of the thing that you are interested in and care a lot about and want to hear people fill in your ear holes with info about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So go check out all the other lovely shows on our network. That's right. But that said, what have you been watching? We've got one we're going to kind of duo talk about, yeah. but then... Yeah, there's one we're going to double team here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, a big, it's a big deal, so we got to really focus on it. But besides that, what have you been watching? I checked out the another movie from this year, Malama. Oh. Which is a remake yes, of Last Shift, Shift yeah. from director Anthony de Blasi, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and I hope I am. Sounds good to me. Now, I saw Last Shift... You know, back when it came out. Did like, you like it? A few years ago. I did. Oh, yeah, and me it, too. It was like a pleasant yeah. surprise, too, because mm-hmm. it's one of those gambles. It's like, mm-hmm. I like the synopsis. I like the cover, um, but it could be a piece of shit. You just never right. know till you go in. <laughs> so I went in, and I was pleasantly surprised. I really dug it. So this is kind of like a bigger budget 
reimagining mm-hmm. of it. It's it's basically it's the same movie. There's just kind of more of it. Right. Longer runtime, more Yeah, more characters. Um you know, I, I don't I think maybe seeing Last Shift may have also colored my view of this. Mm-hmm. I wonder what I would have thought of this had I not seen Last Shift. Mm. Because I don't really think this is an improvement oh. on the first film. But you're a lean and mean guy, so... I am. I am. <laughs> that, that first one's kind of tool to you. It, it really is, because yeah. it's so like direct and, and, and simple in a way, and, you know... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really... I really wonder how I'd feel about it. This is... I mean, this is a fine movie. It's good. Mm-hmm. It just kind of overdoes the whole, is it real, is it not... Mm-hmm. Which, is there more uh, lore with like the the demonic stuff? Or? I'm gonna say there is, yeah. Okay. Which maybe it gets overexplained a little bit. I'm not sure. Mm, okay. Um, there's some really good gore though, and some really cool creature effects in it. Hmm. And the acting is good. It's shot well. It's just I don't know. It felt strangely bloated. Like I don't think the bigger budget helps this movie. Well, I think we talked about it last time with Michael. Sometimes a low budget makes a constraint that if you can work in that yeah it actually kind of enhances it to have those like rails on i agree to focus you now i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna watch last shift again okay and see how it compares to this um i i think if you haven't seen last shift check this out it's not a bad movie by any means i just kind of i gave i gave it two and a half stars i'm right Mm. there you know it's, it's fair you know yeah um if someone has never seen either which do you suggest they start with Right now, I would say Last Shift. Okay, still? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you prefer a bit more... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A bit more verbosity. <laughs> Is that a word? Okay. Uh, watch watch Malum, I suppose. <laughs> but I don't know. People out there, if you've seen both of them, let me know which one you prefer. Yeah, sure. Let us know. I've been meaning to watch it. I just haven't had time to get around to it. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. What have you been watching? So I'm going to go with a classic, a throwback, because amid all our film antics, we've also been doing some horror tabletop role-playing in which the last few weeks you've ran some Call of Cthulhu. I've ran some Call of Cthulhu. We love Call of Cthulhu. We've mentioned it before. We sure do. Uh, We are Cthulhu. (laughs) Yeah. We are uh, Lovecraftian devotees, mm-hmm. um, and it really got me in the mood to watch some, you know, Lovecraft-related movies. Nice. So I circled back, thanks to Tubi, I believe, yeah, and uh, checked out Stuart Gordon's Dagon from 2001. Dude, I fucking love that movie. God, yeah, I love that movie. I haven't seen it in quite a few years. Um, that Blu-ray restoration came out like a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Still need to pick that up, Yeah, I need to get that yeah. too. Um, but I, I was like, man, I just really want to go back to that one. Um, if you don't know it, it's not actually the story Dagon adapted, but it's the, the kind of like one of the most iconic Lovecraft stories, Shadow Over Innsmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did some neat ideas to kind of like update it, make it modern day. And they actually kind of shifted it, made it be set in Spain right. instead of Innsmouth. I think it was Mboka. Mboka. Yeah. It saves a ton of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you've got um, Ezra Godden as the main character, Paul Marsh. Who was also in Dreams in the Witch House. The Which is also of Stuart Gordon. And I'm going to call him, he is like the um, the Diet Coke version of Jeffrey Combs. Yes. I think if you're doing a Lovecraft film and you can't get Jeffrey Combs in the mix, this guy is like your next best bet. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, good performer, has just brings it, has that look, has that feel. Yeah. Gets it all right. 
But yeah, you know, they're just out on... He's on a nice, like, boating trip with his girlfriend and some other people they know. They have a bit of an accident, and he has to seek shelter in Mboka, which is a strange, mysterious fishing village town. And he uncovers this weird cult, the Esoteric Order of Dagon. And it sure does. It's a very wet movie. Very wet. <laughs> it's very moist. Lots of water. <laughs> um, and yeah, he kind of uncovers their secret and finds out he may have some connections <gasps> to the to the insanity that goes on there and tries to survive and escape. Shock. Gasp. Um, I love it. It's so faithful to the story, too, despite like its modern updates. Like I mean, it nails every beat along the way. Mm-hmm. And then you actually get that crazy, awesome... Just like very Lovecraftian ending, which I'm not going to spoil. Right. Because if you've not seen it, you should go seek it out. There is some iffy CG. There is. That's the one little like flaw in yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm. Okay. I usually rate it like a four, and that one star is because of the CG. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, which There's related, also a lot of great practical stuff, though, too. There, there is. Yeah. But yeah, it's just got a great cast throughout. Really nails that Lovecraftian vibe. I think. Like Stuart Gordon's one of the best when it comes to that, but sometimes like uh, I've seen the criticism that like with like Reanimator, it is good, but also kind of drifts from the Lovecraftian part to get more like just in on the gore and like the slapsticky kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. I think this one plays it pretty straight, and it's it does, yeah. Um, it was worthy of getting that Blu-ray restoration, and I hope more people kind of rediscover it and check it out. That's yeah, great, Flick. Cool. So now our duo thing we both want to talk about. This was kind of a monumentous thing. Is it? Um, <laughs> this month, well, for, for October, they released the next VHS film, VHS 85. Yes. Uh, still kind of shutter backing those up. I think it debuted on there, right? Yeah, so we got, the first one was VHS, then VHS 2, then VHS 94? No, there was a 3, because it was, what was it, uh, viral? Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, I tried yeah. to forget that one. Real bad. That's right. Viral was the third one. Then 94. Mm-hmm. Then 90, 99. And now we're going back to 85. Mm-hmm. And allegedly for the next one, they're leaning sci-fi. So Interesting. We'll see how that goes. Okay. Um, so I guess what I want to say first is, what's your like history with this franchise? Because I know we, we talk about it a lot just because we love found footage and anthology films. Well, I remember when it was first coming out, there was a lot of buzz about it. Like, mm-hmm. it was making the festival rounds, and everyone was like, oh, this is great, this is fantastic, you gotta see this. <laughs> um, and, you know, I caught it when, as soon as it came out, um, and I dug it. I liked the first one a lot. There's some really classic mm, yeah. you know, segments in that one. Good range, too, of, like, mm-hmm. topics and styles. Yeah, it's a really good anthology. Um, the second one has, also has some really good parts. It's The second one's quite good, too. Mm-hmm. I think it's really, really good. And then it has Safe Haven, which is like the best segment, I think, mm-hmm. of any of them. It's very good. That's the uh, the Timo Tajanto. Mm-hmm. I, I, may, I don't think I agree that it's the best segment, but it's definitely one of the best. Oh, well, well, it's the best of part two. Okay. Yeah, okay. What do you think is the best just overall? Honestly, probably the one we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. Oh, okay. Sure. I, I liked it that much. All right. Well, put a pin in that. Yeah. Um, the third one, I did not like at all. Yeah. The third one's really rough. Weirdly, the my favorite part of Viral is the wraparound story, of like there's that vehicle driving around that's broadcasting all the VHS tapes, yeah, and that's like making the world collapse and go crazy, yeah. But that, then, sounds, that sounds like a better movie. Yeah, that, that should have been the movie. <laughs> um, and then we should say too, there's also a kind of a related spinoff, Siren, where they took that segment from the first one and actually blew it up mm-hmm. into a full film, which is fine. 
Um, and just to, just to knock through them all really quick, 94, how'd you feel about that one? I'm having a lot of trouble remembering this one, to be honest. Yeah, with I, you. I hardly remember it. I thought, I thought it was very forgettable. Uh, um, that's one of Rotman, though. That's, right? the, that's the only redeeming part about that one to that's me. That's the only thing I remember is yeah. Rotman. Yeah. And that's like the first segment. Hail yeah. Ratma. <laughs> Hail Ratma. <laughs> uh, and then 99, I thought was just. Whew. I. I don't think I have a good thing to say about any of the ones in that. Um, I'll say it has really cool cover art. Yeah. It reminds me of the original poster for uh, the Dream Master, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, that's a good vibe. Um, that's about the only good thing I could say about it. Yeah. <laughs> it. Mm. Uh, and then I think before 85, we got Kids vs. Aliens, which was kind of a bigger expansion of another of the shorts from the early ones. Right, right. Uh, the UFO one, I think, was in the first one, I want to say. First one or second one? I think it's the first one. Um, but that brings us to 85. Well, I, I will say something interesting about 99. Okay. Because the only really interesting segment was the one where they go to hell. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that was made by the people who brought us Deadstream. Which is funny because Deadstream is so much better. So much better. Yeah. So much better. <laughs> but, I mean, as a, for a first effort, this mm-hmm. one isn't bad. But they definitely fulfilled on the promise they made here and made a much better movie. Yes. If you haven't seen Deathstream, watch it. It's on Shudder, I believe, right now. It's a a must-see if you love found footage. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, 85, though, they're bringing in some big names. They brought in uh, David Bruckner, and they brought in a personal favorite of mine, Scott Derrickson, to do Uh a segment. Your boy. Now that he's um, released from the MCU and is free to do his own stuff. (laughs) Um, Much better stuff. So yeah, I guess the first thing I want to say about 85 is like, man, every segment is good. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Some better than others. There's one I really am not a huge fan of. Okay. Though the ending is kind of fun. We'll get to that one. You want to take it segment by segment? Let's just let's do segment by segment. We'll, we need a little love, a little time for this one. Okay. Um, I guess we can start with the frame narrative, just because right. they're never that big. So that's the total copy, and that is the part that David Bruckner made. It's kind of this documentary team, and they found this like alien life form, and they're studying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it appears to be almost like a doppelganger of sorts. It can kind of morph and start to take the shape of another person. Yeah, it's like they have it in this. Uh, they're studying it, and it's in like this um, clinical environment, but it's made to look like a living room. Yeah, and it's the television's always on, and it's almost always like exercise videos. Yeah, well, they're making the mistake of trying to teach it with uh, pop culture. <laughs> it worked, <laughs> hey, it, it worked on me. <laughs> They should play some MTV for it, though. Uh, mm-hmm. And we keep coming back to this in between mm-hmm. all the other segments. Yeah, as their research progresses. And the the group that's studying it kind of breaks apart eventually Yeah, over like the ethics of what they're doing. Now, the first segment is my favorite, No Wake. God, it's really good. Written and directed by Mike P. Nelson. I'm keeping my eye open for this dude. Because mm-hmm. this uh, begins, you get like seven friends, and they're like out having a good time out on the lake they get to this lake and they're looking around and there's like a uh, old faded sign mm-hmm. um there's like little hints that something just isn't quite right i don't want to say too much about this right. the whole time you're wondering like is this a slasher thing is this like is like jason Voorhees gonna pop up is it that kind of deal i, I don't and know if i want to i want to talk about this but i don't want to talk about let's this not spoil this one Let, but let's just say it goes in a way that you'll never really predict i don't think yeah i would be surprised if someone just like watched the first two seconds of it and then was yeah. like boom here's the plot yeah it's it struck me as being extremely original, and it has mm. it is one of the best representations of I think what a nightmare is like. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's such a dream logic mm. kind of segment. And it's weird because the violence is so real and so yeah. brutal. Right. It has, um, to go back to Murder Party, that very, like, Saulnier vibe of just, like, it's really in your face. It doesn't shy away from the uh-huh. how the violence looks. But then at the same time, it's like, what is going on? Is this real? Is yeah. this happening? Is this a dream? Is this... I love it. Yeah. And then this segment kind of ends with a little cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we will come back to later on in the movie. And then that brings us to God of Death, written and directed by Gigi Saul Guerrero. Mm-hmm. I liked this one, but it's kind of the, one of the weaker ones to me. It's I one think. of the weaker ones. It, it's, a, it's a Mexican news crew, and they're kind of just getting ready in the morning, and then this earthquake happens, and it sets up this crazy chaotic yeah. scenario of trying to get out of the building. But they're trapped. They find this like fissure in the ground. They keep going lower and lower. Mm-hmm. And, and caves give way to ruins. Yeah. Shit happens. Shit happens. Um, I really wanted this one to be like a sequel to Ratma, and they get down I, there. That's what yeah. I thought. I thought Ratma was going to show up again. <laughs> I was going to hell rat muscle more. Um, but it kind of goes in a much more, I want to say, conventional direction. I will say it's cool seeing um, a different culture yeah. other than, you know, mm-hmm. European or American type folklore and something. So. Always. Say, when are we going to get the Japanese segment? What? Yeah. Yeah. When are we? Oh. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, our third one is Techno God, directed by Natasha Kermani and written by Zoe Cooper. This one's kind of fun. See, this is the one I like the least. Oh, really? I think it just goes on too long. Mm, see, I like this one more than God of Death, even. It does a good job, because it's, 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 the whole thing's performance art. Yeah, it's it's a chick who's on stage, and she's about to do some performance art at a little tiny theater. Yeah, and she's like got this VR headset on. It's all about virtual reality and pretty much her opinion of it. Mm. You know? Basically says that um, we've killed God and replaced him with this God who is like technology. Right. Realized as like a force. Yeah. And that she thinks that through her virtual reality software, she could actually contact this god the same way that you would have done a magic ritual back in the day. Mm-hmm. But now it's just been modernized as computer code, which is a cool premise I love. Um, the less said about this one, the better, too. Yeah. I won't go much further than that. but Because um, everything's in the ending. Yeah. She, she attempts this sort of virtual invoking, and yeah. shit happens. I might like this better than the previous segment. Yeah. It, you're it's, right. it's really smart. God of Death might be the weakest, and this one, yeah. Um, our third, well, you, fourth you brought one, me around. <laughs> our fourth one is uh, Ambrosia. Yes, which is the sequel to No Wake. Yes, the it, first it, segment. it links up in clever and interesting ways. But that's about a family that kind of has this like ritualistic, like murder spree thing that happens where, whenever a kid reaches a certain age, they're expected to kill is it mm-hmm. seven people. Yeah. And it's like a rite of passage to join the family. Right. And like some sort of evil bat mitzvah or something. Yeah. And they're throwing a party to celebrate, um, isn't it Ruth, I think her name? Yeah, Her teenage daughter who has just completed her task. And I really like the actress playing her, too. Oh, she was great, She's good. Yeah. Um, and then it goes in a weird direction that yeah, sends yeah, it hurtling it, and slamming back into that first segment. Yeah, we can't talk about it anymore. And that's where it really makes <laughs> those two segments like the best of this bunch almost. Because it's like that's so fucking crazy that it can links up like that. And yeah. you go back to it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And then we get uh, Dream Kill, which is, I guess, maybe your favorite. Yep. Uh, directed by Scott Derrickson and written by him and C. Robert Cargill. Yes. And this is about a serial killer that they're pursuing and trying to catch. We get some cool like POV visuals mm-hmm. of from the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the course of trying to get that, they have these VHS tapes that kind of like show the killings. 
and it becomes this very convoluted thing of like yeah because the tapes they're getting the killings are before they happen or before the, yeah. the actual kill happens right mm-hmm. uh and it's a cool concept it's a good segment i like it a lot it's mm-hmm. just not my favorite but i would love to see this one blown up as a full film Ooh, see i think it's better as a short film oh okay i'm not sure it can handle a full length I'm not sure there's enough material there. But I, did you get Cronenberg vibes on this one? Yes, very yeah. much so, yeah. yeah. Even think, though it's not really body horror, it's got that whole kind of videodrome yeah. sort of weird, surreal... And it's kind of got that like detached like clinical feel to it. Yeah. Like they're never at like a science center or like a, no, a lab cops. or anything. Most of it's in a fucking police station. It has that feel to it. Yeah. Kind of like a, uh, like a rabid mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. It's hard to put your finger on, but definitely Cronenberg vibes. Um, I just feel like all of these, they had so much like style and like just a vibe to each one that really like came off well. It's a huge, huge improvement over the last two, yeah. easily. It also has a really cool poster. Like I remember after 99, I said, I think I'm done with this. And then I, when I heard that Derrickson was involved, I was like, well, I'll give it a shot just for him. Yeah. After you told me it was good, I went ahead and watched it. <laughs> it's usually you're right. Sometimes you're Sometimes horribly, wrong, but... erroneously incorrect. But... but yeah, like the credits hadn't even stopped, and I messaged you and Michael, and I was like, guys, 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 <laughs> the new VHS is actually good. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Return to form, it's nice. So I am optimistic about a next one. And, you know, with the sci-fi hook, like I think that can be fun, because I forget which one. It's, it's maybe in part two or... Um, they have this segment where the dude gets like the eye implant and it's like a cyber eye. Yeah, that was part two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was a really good skit and that kind of leaned into like the sci fi angle. Mm-hmm. So right. I think there's room to do that. They just. There is. There is. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, science fiction and horror, they go together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, if you've not checked this one out yet, definitely put it on your radar. Uh, if maybe you've fallen off the wagon with VHS, this is a good one to jump back in on. <laughs> Right, so today, as suggested by Jessica, we are talking about Zach Kreger's Barbarian from 2022, his screenwriting and directorial debut. That's right. Um, I'll hit you with the synopsis. Mm-hmm. Yep. In town for a job interview, a young woman arrives at her Airbnb rental late at night, only to find that the house has been mistakenly double booked and a strange man is already staying there. Against her better judgment, she decides to stay the night anyway but soon discovers that there is much more to be afraid of in this house than the other guest. Mm. See, I think that gives away too much. Oh, would you say so? I would. Hmm. I would. Um, I mean, I think there are enough twists and turns where that doesn't ruin it for you completely. Uh-huh. But I think this is one of those movies that definitely, if you don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. like you're better off if you haven't even watched a trailer for it. No, just going <laughs> cold. So if you if you are out there listening and you have not seen Barbarian and mean to, by all means come back and listen to us later. Go watch it. Come back and listen to our rambling, disjointed thoughts. Um, and it is on Hulu, by the way. So uh, it's also on um, Max if you have that. Oh, Max. <laughs> okay. 
what's that all about? Huh? It's like the fine china of streaming services. I don't know about that, but it is on there. Uh, and then what genre is this? Pretty much horror, I would say. Uh, IMDb says horror, mystery, thriller. Which okay. are all pretty much the well, same. Well, we can time. discount the thriller part because they put that on everything, apparently. That's, yeah, everything's a thriller. Um, mystery, I can kind of see that. Like, there is a central mystery you're trying to sure. unravel. That makes sense. Sure. <laughs> uh, should um, we just get into it then? Or yeah, we any, begin on a, a dark and stormy night. Yeah, the best way to start As a movie. So many good films begin. Mm-hmm. And we've got our lead, Tess Marshall, played by Georgina Campbell. Who I think is very good in the movie. Mm-hmm. I'll just I'll just get out in front of it and say this. Every actor in this is oh. just fucking phenomenal. Yeah, the cast is great. Yeah. Everyone in the cast is mm-hmm. great. And they just... It's like 10 out of 10 performances mm-hmm. across mm-hmm. the board. Yep. Everybody's bringing their A game. Agreed. Um, Yeah, but she's in Detroit in this sort of rundown, forgotten neighborhood called Brightmoor. And she's booked to Airbnb. She's there for a job interview. Mm-hmm. We don't have much more context than that. Nope. And she's just rolling up on the house. And she's trying to get into it. Uh, she's got the passcode for it, but it won't open the lock. Mm-hmm. And also someone named Marcus keeps calling her, but she keeps declining it. Yep. Um, we, we learn her name is Tess, because she calls the rental company. She just gets a message, you know, voicemail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she goes back to her car, but she sees a light come on inside the house. Yeah, because she did bang on the door a little bit. Yeah, she's you. banging on the door. No answer. She goes in, light comes on. So she goes back. There's even a funny interlude, too, before all this pops off that, like, she had misread the code for the lockbox. Uh, and then she gets it right, but when it opens, the key's gone. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So she's at the right place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually, the door's opened, and inside is a man. It's Pennywise, so shit, yeah. run. <laughs> Immediately, you know, something's up, because it's Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. Uh, but he says he's running the house. Yep, he's a dude named Keith Toshko. Yeah. So there's some back and forth about, oh, I'm supposed to run it. Oh, blah, blah, blah. So eventually he's like, well, come inside. We'll get out of the rain. We'll figure out what's going on. We'll call these fuckers and get it sorted out. Mm-hmm. And you notice that initially and rightfully, she's pretty suspicious of him. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and why shouldn't she be? You know, yeah. you're going into a strange house with a man you don't know. It's probably not a good move, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um. And it's funny because one of the first things she does is get him to show the booking. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. goes in and is like, can I, can I make sure that you didn't break in here or something? And he even <laughs> says that. He's like, what are you trying to prove I'm not some weirdo who broke in here? <laughs> um, and she like goes to the bathroom and she's seeing that he has his things out and everything. And mm-hmm. Everything looks innocuous, you know? Yeah. And eventually what we learned is that he booked it through like another app. Yeah. But it's clearly the right place and they just double booked it. Right. It's probably some like you know middle management company that just lists the house on every service and mm-hmm. yeah messed up. So Tessa's like, well, I'll just go somewhere else. And he's like, ah, this neighborhood ain't so great. You probably couldn't see it too well coming in at night in this rain, but it's not a great neighborhood. Which is very clever because that in that first scene they keep it so shadowed you can't see the other houses. Yeah, you you just see like an absence of light basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, just stay here. And my name's Keith. You know, you want some tea? Somebody left some wine here, like a housewarming yeah. present or something. <laughs> oh, and it's funny too because uh, her initial plan after the first one is that she's gonna book a hotel, and everywhere she calls is like booked up. Yeah, and then he remembers that there's something going on in town this weekend, yeah, like some medical convention or something. Yeah, and so everywhere's booked up for that. Mm-hmm. So it's really one of those like series of unfortunate events, right. Type things. 
So he's like, well, just stay here. You know, mm-hmm. you can have the bed. I'll sleep on the couch, you know. So she's like, okay, but I want to wash the sheets. <laughs> can't, can't blame her over there. So uh, while they're waiting on that, they start talking. And uh, Well, there's a really funny scene, too. Um, after she washes the sheets, she's coming out, and he has the wine. Yeah. And he tells her, like, hey, I was waiting to open this till you got in here because I didn't want you to think I'm doing anything weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought you might like a drink, but I didn't want to just go ahead and do it. And right. then, Which comes across as awkward and a little creepy, but also, mm-hmm. like, totally reasonable yeah you know i mean i wouldn't expect a strange woman to take an open drink for me that she didn't see me prepare or whatever you right know? right um oh she also goes in the bedroom like putting her stuff in there and she finds his wallet yeah and takes a picture of his license you know just in case but he is the name matches you yep, know, name the matches. matches everything seems on the level mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so then they get to talking and like he's asking her why she's there turns out it's for a job interview and it's for like a director of documentary films, and it turns out that he actually knows one of the movies that this director has made, and he's not bullshitting. Yeah, because she's like, "There's no way you've seen that movie." Well, it's really funny because she mentions the movies she's there for, and he's like, "Oh, I don't know about that." And she's like, "Well, it's directed by so and so," and he's like, "Wait, who? Yeah, yeah. really? For, for, for real?" And then she's like, well, "You probably don't know them. They've only done this other thing. It's this." And then he's like, "What? I love that movie." Yeah, yeah. And it turns out he's like part of this. Uh, entrepreneurship that's looking to revitalize Detroit mm-hmm. and because uh, the director's next project is about that and he's like well you should interview me because I'm part of this collective <laughs> yeah so that, that actually lays a little bit more suspicion on him because yeah. maybe somehow he knows who she is yeah, like he's and he's like arranged this or something yeah. you know it makes him both more suspicious and also like less suspicious. Yeah, and kind of endearing because mm-hmm. he actually knows what the fuck she's talking about. Yeah, so they know? kind of hit it off and get get into like a deeper conversation at that point. Mm-hmm. And she says that uh, she's in a bad relationship. Yeah, feels like a kept pet. So that's part of the reason she's trying to find this job and get out of there and kind of restructure her life a little bit. Well, and he's like, if you're in an abusive relationship, you should don't don't let that define you. You know, you mm-hmm. should get out. He's very supportive. Very supportive. And he then, then he does a goofy and endearing thing with the duvet cover. Yeah. Show, showing her how, <laughs> how best to get the how to get it in there. Which is hilarious. Yeah. So there's some attraction here. You know, they've been drinking. Oh, they got a vibe. Yeah, you know. And Bill Skarsgård, when he's not looking all creepy, ain't a bad looking dude. <laughs> yeah, you know? for real. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he leaves her there to go to sleep. And he goes to the couch. But... That night, she hears a sound. Yeah, there's like a, a bumping sound almost. Mm-hmm. And she gets up and looks, and the door's open. But beyond the door, she can also see Keith sleeping on the couch. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what the fuck, yo? And so she gets up and starts moving toward him, and he, he's having a bad dream or something. Yeah, he's having like a nightmare or something. He's, he's kind of like sleeping fitfully and kind of mumbling in his sleep. <laughs> she like touches him. <laughs> but as we see her also... Behind her, we see something move. Yeah, there's she something in the shadows. She doesn't see it. I like this shot because it's really framed well. Yeah. I think. The whole movie is shot well. I may as well just say that right now. Mm-hmm. All the framing, everything looks good. Cinematography's good. It's not like a flashy, fancy movie. No, no, no. But it's shot very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it startles him. He startles him. He, he wakes freaks, up and yeah. screams. Yep. And she's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so he's kind of weirded out that she's even out there, like, touching him when he's sleeping. But, um, but then she's like, hey, did you open my door? And he's like, no, I didn't open your door. 
And it's funny because it kind of like is a sour moment between them both ways because it's like... Her trust is a little broken because yeah. who else could open the door? And then he's like, weirded out. Why are you out yeah. here just like over me while I'm yeah. sleeping? And let's go ahead and address something that I think a lot of male viewers might already be thinking when they're watching this. Okay. Um, some of them might be saying, oh, well, Keith seems like a good guy. Why should Tess even think anything about him? Why should she even be suspicious? He's She's- just, he's being, he's a nice guy. He's letting her stay. You know, he's <laughs> he's not made any moves on her. Well, for one, she's fleeing an abusive relationship, so... Right. And two, <laughs> why wouldn't she be apprehensive and nervous? I mean, like I said, I mean, I don't even think she should have gone in the house. Yeah. And, I th- and that will bring us to the theme of the movie eventually. But I just yeah. kind of want to go ahead and address okay. that and kind of have that in people's minds. Yeah, like, I know we're not through it yet, but let me just ask you this. Like, if that was you, would you have invited her in? I probably would have. Mm. Now, whether or not, because, and it's like what a lot of people, I don't want to use the term incel. Uh, <laughs> a lot of, or toxic, I don't know, maybe that's too extreme. A lot of men think, well, I'm a nice guy. Mm-hmm. I, I've never hurt a woman. I would never hurt a woman. But you know what? They don't fucking know that. And when you, on the average, men have like, you know, 50 to a hundred pounds in any given woman, they're stronger. Uh, who are mostly the serial killers? <laughs> Fucking men, you know, yeah. why? Sh- I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like getting in the cage with a potential, with a lion or something, you know, you don't know what they're going to be oh, yeah. like. They yeah. could be a predator. So I, I, I totally understand women's hesitation of this sort of thing. And I think a lot of men don't think enough about that. Mm-hmm. You know, because they typically have the, at least the physical power, you know. Anyway, hmm. I just wanted to go ahead and touch on that a little bit. See, I was thinking about it and I was like, I consider myself a nice person, but actually don't know if I would go as far as he goes in this. I might invite them in to be like, let's find you another place to stay. Mm-hmm. Or even like, let me find another place to stay. Mm-hmm. You can take the place. I'll go. Well, I mean... But- with me and my almost Catholic-like eternal guilt, <laughs> I would feel like I had done something bad, you know? I was like, oh, I took this. Oh, she went, oh, I feel so bad, you know? Well, listen, we were on vacation once, and the room we booked, they tried to give to another family. And um, they were, like, knocking on the door when they couldn't get in. So you were already in there. Because we were already in there. Uh-huh. And we just did not fucking answer it. Well, I don't blame yeah. you. Because who the fuck's knocking at the door? And they eventually you know? went, complained at the front desk. The front desk called the room. We answered. Then they came up to talk to us. Then they were like, shit, we messed up. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, well, how do you want to fix this? And I was like, we're already unpacked, dude. Yeah, you're in the room. You got the room. <laughs> right. No. And I, maybe I, I wouldn't have invited them us, in the room. But... I wouldn't have shared the yeah. room with them. <laughs> uh, but of course, that's a very different situation. It is. Compared yeah. to an Airbnb. But... Right. Um, so we get to the morning. Her door is still shut because we saw her lock it and everything. And uh, she goes to leave. She's getting ready, and she finds a note for her mm-hmm. at, that you know said he had to go ahead and leave, but asks her to leave the keys in the lockbox. Yep. And he says something like, "I had a wonderful night." At the bottom, and she gives a little smile to this. Yeah. So you know, there's like okay, yeah. chemistry a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and then when she leaves the house in the broad daylight, yeah. you see how <laughs> shitty this neighborhood is. Literally every house around it is destroyed, basically. Yeah. It's like, like burnt like, out, yeah. boarded up, graffitied, weeds everywhere. It's like something out of a zombie film. Mm-hmm. So she drives off and gets into town to go for this interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes well. goes well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get a little weirdness after they're done and they're kind of about to part ways. Because, yeah. uh, the person she interviewed with is asking like where she's staying. <laughs> and she's like, oh, you know, it's just uh, I got an Airbnb over in Brightmoor. And she's like, are you serious? Yeah, like her face literally immediately changes. Yeah, it's like, you, you don't want to stay there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, yeah, it's a little rough, but, you know, it's the only place in town, blah, blah, blah. And the woman's like, well, be careful. Yep, she even offers, she says, if you want, I can find you another place mm-hmm. uh, that you can go to and it'll be fine. And she's kind of like, well, uh, I might take you up on that. I'll see how it goes. Yeah. But, but you know. also get the impression maybe she wants to see Keith again, too. Yeah. Because she was looking at his picture on her phone, waiting for the interviewer, mm-hmm. you know, smiling a little bit. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she heads back to the house. And this is where we get some like actual activity in the streets. Far in the distance, there's what looks to be like a homeless man yeah. just wandering around. And when yeah. he sees her, he starts screaming. He's like, hey, hey, come back here. He hey. calls her a little girl. Yeah. He says, hey, little girl, little girl, <laughs> come here. Don't go in that house. Come here. <laughs> and rightfully, she's kind of freaking out because he's he's literally running after her. Yeah. And he, she slams the door in his face. and Which I love like her trying to get in, trying to open the the key code thing to get the key out yeah, to get back inside. Yeah. It's timed really well. Mm-hmm. And he just keeps repeating like, don't go in that house. So she's trying to calm down. She's in the bathroom, but there's no toilet paper. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't find any else in the bathroom. So she sees this other door. This is the first time that Tiffany chimed in to me. And she was like, who doesn't leave extra toilet paper in the bathroom? Uh, some dudes don't dudes. Uh. I mean, if you're trying to get a good review on your Airbnb, you know. Oh, right, 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 right. Well, obviously this place is mismanaged. They've double booked it and everything, you know. That's fair. And it's in a fucking demilitarized zone. (laughs) Uh, So she ends up wandering into the basement after searching the house. Yeah, this is your classic creepy, unfinished basement. Mm -hmm. Junk everywhere. Uh, And she only takes one roll, too. Yeah. Did you notice that? She only takes one role. <laughs> like, okay, maybe she's not going to be there very long. You don't right. plan on going through the whole thing. But you know what? I want some insurance. I don't want to have to go back in that fucking basement again. For real. Just take the whole thing up there. I take the whole thing. Uh, but the door shuts behind her. Yeah. And locks her um, in. It seems like it has a weird penchant for after it's open for a while, it just kind of closes itself mm-hmm. and relocks. Maybe it's hung in an angle or something. Well, we'll talk about that. I have theories. <laughs> okay. All right. So she realizes that she still has the key on her and her phone's in her room. So she's like, fuck, fuck, fuck. She's looking out that little window, um, looking around the room itself. Uh, she's trying to see if she can find something to like boost herself up to get out that window or yeah. get the door open somehow. And also just sort of looking around in general, I think. But she makes her spot hidden roll. She does. And she sees a little piece of rope hanging out of a little hole in the wall. And it's like, why is there rope in the yeah, wall? Yeah. So what are you going to do? You're going to start pulling on that rope, right? Why not? <laughs> she does. And then this fucking concealed door starts opening. Mm-hmm. 
And now she's really like, what the fuck? And I love how much she hesitates to go further. Yeah, she's looking down and yeah. it's dark. I mean, there's no light down there or anything. <laughs> and she just says, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and we next see her sitting on the steps like she's been there for a little while. But I guess she's bored, maybe, mm-hmm. and decides to investigate a little bit. But she angles this mirror in the light yeah. to get it to shine down there. <laughs> And I like how that looks. Yeah, there's kind of a short hallway, and then there's an obvious door on the left because mm-hmm. we see a doorknob sticking out. And there's light in that other room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she decides to investigate. So, okay, what's this? And she finds... Um... At this point, I wrote in my notes, I'm getting through that basement door one way or the other. I'm kicking <laughs> it in to get back upstairs. You know, fuck this shit. Yeah. But yeah what does she find? Uh, it's kind of like the set for, uh, I'm going to say, like a snuff film or something. <laughs> it's something the guys from August Underground would have, yeah. Yeah. It's just a spare room. There is a metal bed frame with this gross, grotty, stained mattress. Yeah, disgusting. There is an old VHS camcorder set up on a tripod mm-hmm. and a bucket. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> And isn't there also a bloody handprint yeah, on the wall? Yeah, she's a bloody handprint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's like, oh, fuck this. Yep. And um, she hears someone at the door, runs to the window, and it's Keith. Yep. So they get the window open, she hands him the key, he gets her in, and he, she's like, you know, panicking and, and rambling, which <laughs> anyone would be trying to explain to him what's going on. And he's like, you're upset because you found a room downstairs. It doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> you know? And she's like, well, you don't understand. You didn't see it. Yeah. And so he kind of makes the logical jump of like, well, let me go look at it real quick. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, we need to be done. We need to leave. Right. We both just need to get out of here now. What would you have done in the situation? Would you have listened to her? <laughs> Got would the you... fuck out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. But we are avid Call of Cthulhu players. Right. And we know that after a point, you have to just give up, deny everything, and yeah. run away. Yeah. And we've seen all these movies <laughs> where, you know... Spartan rooms with a camcorder and a stained bed are, is not good news. Uh, so he goes down there and she kind of follows him. She stays in the basement itself. Well, it's interesting because she is just going to leave regardless. And he kind of talks her into, well, just wait at the top of the stairs. Yeah. And when I come back, then we can go. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't, he doesn't come back up. She yeah, goes she, down. She's waiting. She's waiting. She's calling for him. We hear him say... <laughs> Yeah, like once or twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he stops saying anything. We hear nothing. And he goes down there. She goes down there, and he's not in the room. Right. So now we're getting more suspicious of him again, I think. Yeah, like this is a setup. Yeah, like he's just trying to trap her in this room or something. Yeah, trick her to going in there and then sealing her in mm-hmm. or something. But no, because she finds another door. Yeah, well, the back wall has this curious like white strip on it. The right. first just looks like maybe paneling or something. Mm-hmm. But when she investigates it closer, it's actually like the hinge of another secret door. Yeah, like a wooden door. Yeah. And she opens it and there's just these stone steps descending into the darkness. Mm-hmm. It's just carved out of the earth. Which uh, actually, isn't this a Call of Cthulhu scenario? Uh, it yeah. sounds a lot like one, yeah. <laughs> something I would write. Uh, but she hears Keith. Yeah, he calls out. Yeah. Says help. Mm-hmm. So she works up the courage to go down there. I think she's using her, using her phone for light at this yep. point, right? And man, it, it's way down there. Yeah, it's down like, there. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's like a mine shaft because yeah. it supports every 10 feet or something. Mm-hmm. This has clearly been created, not mm-hmm. not found. And uh, she passes this one room where all these large cages are there, rusted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Keith comes crawling out of the dark suddenly. And he's fucked up. He's fucked up and he's panicking. He's saying, there's someone down here. We got Someone bit me. Yeah. And we got to get out of here. But while they're arguing about which way to go, this naked, filthy woman, we think. It's kind of a deformed, <laughs> like, uh, subhumanoid vibe going on. Yeah. Runs up behind them, screams, grabs Keith, and starts bashing his head in the rock wall. And make no mistake, you know he's dead because... Yeah, this, is, this is not a fake out. Yeah, she wails him into the wall. This is not a Tobin Bell situation. <laughs> <laughs> There's no walking back this one with a, a inter- intercool or something. <laughs> right. This fucker is dead. His head is pulp. Yeah. And yeah, she screams, fade the black. That was a short movie. Mm-hmm. Pretty good, though. Yeah. You know, actually... <laughs> hmm, when, when do I say this? Maybe I say this now. If this were just a short film and it stopped here, I think it's perfect. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I was not as enthused with the later acts. Interesting. Which we'll talk about as we okay, go. Okay, all right. Let's go for it. Yeah. Yeah, we get a total tonal shift. Yep, complete, 100%. You're like in a different movie now. Yeah, we get this guy driving to some upbeat music. Justin Long. Justin Long. Not just any guy, but Justin Long. As uh, AJ. Yeah, he's on this beachside road. He's cruising. He's singing along. Living the good life. He's annoyingly happy. A little too happy. <laughs> a little too happy. But soon he is not so happy. <laughs> No, we, we learned that he's uh, kind of a, what was that, it's like a producer, director type. I thought maybe a director, yeah. yeah. Um, but he gets a call from some very important sounding people. Mm-hmm. He's told that a woman named Megan has made an allegation against him, sexual yep. assault allegation. And he kind of starts freaking out. He's like, what? No, what'd she say? Uh, so there's going to be like a news story about it in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because it's like a conference call with several people. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, what we're trying to say. Well, he's like, well, is the show going to go on? Yeah, or? am I fired? Yeah. If the show does go on, it won't be involving you. <laughs> yes. And he's like, what is she saying that I raped her? And there's just like this pause. And the woman he's talking to on the phone says, yes, she says you raped her. <laughs> and, like she's not surprised. And he immediately know? launches into excuses. And they're like, we, we think you should know that anything you say on this call. Yeah. Could be used against you. He's calling her a lying bitch and yeah. things like that. <laughs> so then we get a shot of him with his financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And again, he keeps referring to his accuser as a bitch and misogynistic <laughs> language and things like that. And he's told he's going to have no money in three months. Yeah, they're calculating like his current level of spending, how long his funds will last with no income coming in. Not very long. And he says the... Advisor says you got some Michigan properties, but they won't be enough to sustain you. Mm-hmm. And then the guy fires him as a client. <laughs> yeah, he says once you leave this room, I'm no longer working for yeah, you. I'm gonna give your files back. <laughs> and he's like, I can recommend you some people, but um, no, mm-hmm. we're done. And his suggestion to him is to sell his like swanky mansion. Yeah. He doesn't want to do that. But he doesn't want to do that. So he decides that the best thing he can do is go to Detroit. Yeah, go lay, see these properties. Lay low, inspect these properties, and see which ones he could maybe sell. Yep. Get a little quick income. Yep. So then we next see him like in a rental car talking to his lawyer. Uh, he said he wants to talk to Megan. The lawyer says, it's a bad idea. Don't do it. And he says, you shouldn't even be leaving the state. What are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm not being arrested for anything, am I? Yeah. 
And the lawyer says, it's likely. Leaving the state isn't a good move. But oh well. He gets the keys to his property. Um, and this is kind of where we get the link of what's going on, is that he yeah. bought this and kind of just uses like a management company to oversee it. Right. So he shows up at the house we've spent the first half of the movie at. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Tess's and Keith's belongings were there. Yep, her car's outside. Yep. But no Tess or Keith. Which he thinks is... He, like, pauses maybe for a moment, but then he doesn't really care. Yeah, it's like he... Well, I mean, if it's... <laughs> Our description may not be doing it justice, but he's a very self-centered person. He, it's he's all, all about, about himself, him. yes. Everything is about him. He does call the company and he's like, you know, people left shit here. You know, what's going on with this? <laughs> and he's like, doesn't someone come and clean this stuff? And they're like, well, no one cleans it until it's rented again. <laughs> so people could be squatting in my house. What the <laughs> fuck? Um, so we see him talking to his mom again, talking about the in quotes fucking bitch. Yep. Uh, he gets a call from a friend. Uses the F word. If you didn't already like this guy, you're not supposed to like this guy. Yeah. They, they go out to drinks, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So his friend's asking him what really happened. He's like, yeah, man to man, between you and me, like what really happened? Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, we had sex. She took some convincing. <laughs> Grab him by the pussy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's okay. It's really that vibe though, yeah, right? Right. Yeah. 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 You know, he's a big shot director. He can do that. Whatever he wants. He might be an actor. I don't know. I never really got a sense of what he does. I was thinking producer director. Mm-hmm. Um, Loser. Let's try that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, there you go. So he's drunk. He's back at the house. He's calling Megan, which he shouldn't have done. Leaves a voicemail, saying that he's sorry if he did something wrong, and that people can have different versions of what happened. Mm-hmm. And he's happy to clear that up with her. Yeah. She'll just call him back. Mm-hmm. Then he wakes up in the morning. He's puking his guts out. Uh, he's going through the luggage. Uh, he finds Tessa's laptop, can't get into it, and just tosses it aside. And it, like, slams against the dresser. Yeah, it's so funny, because he takes a guess at what her password might be, and I'm like, what do you even... Right, how do you... Where do you even start on that? <laughs> yeah. And he's never, ever thinking that maybe something bad happened to the people that yeah. left his stuff here. You know, he doesn't call the police. Mm-hmm. You know? Especially because, like, a laptop, that's... Right, who's going to leave know. that, you know? <sighs> had he done that, had he done the bare minimum, <laughs> perhaps what happens to him would not happen to him. Yeah. Um. So eventually he goes down in the basement. See, he finds keys laying on the table. That's right. Like yep. Whoever was here left their keys. So are they still here? And he's like, oh, I've searched the entire house, but I haven't looked in the basement. I guess mm-hmm. I should check mm-hmm. there. So he goes down there, hears a sound, like some sort of a thumping, bumping sound. He says that he has a gun. He's going to shoot, come down there and shoot them if they don't come up. Oh, and he also has to talk himself up before he goes down. Yeah. He says, I'm a fucking man. I'm going to fuck you up. All right, bitch, get ready to be fucked. He says this to himself. Yeah. To psych himself up. <laughs> uh, so he sh- in no short order, he finds the hidden door. I also get stuck down there because, again, that door is just... Anytime you go down there, after a while, it closes itself. Mm-hmm. So he's really only got the option to go forward. Well, no, remember, because oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah. sees the, the room. Yeah, the first his, time he gets back up before it closes. Yeah, yeah, and his first reaction is, 
to Google how much does basement space add to a uh, resale value of a house. Yeah. He sees this horrible room where bad things have clearly happened. <laughs> and the first thing he thinks about is how much money can I get out of it? Yeah, I think his first search is like, um, do you count the square footage of a basement room? Yeah, yeah. And then the, the answer he gets is like, well, technically no, but you can list it as a bonus feature if you yeah. know the square footage. And he's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> so he goes down there with a tape measure. Yep. And he's measuring this room. And it's hilarious because he does the hall, but then he goes in the room and does like the, the square footage of the room, too. Yeah, and he's just moving this horrible bed around, and he sits on it at one point, and it's like, oh, gross. But it's like, dude, seriously? You're that self-occupied. You're that mm, self But then I think the best part is he finds the other hidden door and the stone <laughs> steps, and so he just like hooks the measuring tape on the top step yeah. and then just starts going. He thinks he's hit the jackpot. Yeah. Wow. The thing is... I believe this is possible. I think mm-hmm. I've met guys like this that cannot think beyond beyond their own immediate need. You know, he never vocalizes what he's thinking or feeling at this point, but to me, I thought it was one of those things where he's like, oh, maybe there's like a wine cellar or something. Yeah, yeah. right, right. And I, I, we've already said it, but I mean, Justin Long's really good in this. I've mm-hmm. always kind of liked him anyway. Yeah. But he, he's he's very good in this. It's it, interesting. Playing a difficult character. Yeah, it's an interesting role for him because he usually plays like the nice guy, the nice guy, the good boyfriend, like can drag me to hell or down something. on his luck, likable. Yeah. yeah, and this is a or very a walrus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tusk. <laughs> so he's down there measuring this, and he doesn't even seem to get much of a you know, thought to the cages. Yeah, he gets shit. to the cages and just kind of glances he's for like, a second the and then uh. just goes on by. He's probably thinking maybe they had dogs. <laughs> yeah, you know, your subterranean lair where you keep dogs. It's all good. <laughs> but he finds this room. He sees a little bit of light coming out of this room and he hears a sound. And he goes in and it's there's this TV on the floor playing a recording of a mother nursing. Yeah, it looks like a old VHS tape or something. Yeah, and you see what looks like be like a cradle or something. Yep. And there's kind of like blankets down, but it's very, very nasty. And, yeah. Yeah. So now he's thinking, hmm, maybe this ain't right. <laughs> but then I like the scene too because something starts grabbing his tape measure. Yeah. And it's <laughs> going away from him. Makes me think of the uh, the scenes in Jaws with yeah. the fishing line and stuff. Uh, well, it's funny because it's like reeling back to the thing. And Tiffany was like, dude, it's going to take his finger off when it gets there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he drops it and takes off down the tunnel. And here's something coming. Mm-hmm. And then we see that creature woman coming out of the darkness toward him. He's running away. He falls into a pit. And we get kind of a jump scare, but it's Tess coming up. Yeah. Trying to silence him. Saying, Yeah, trying to shush him. And the woman... We see her face a little bit better now. Yeah, it's all twisted, kind of malformed. And she shuts this cover on the cage. Like a grate. Yeah. And then we get another, like, smash cut to black. Another tonal shift. And another tonal shift, another reset. Mm-hmm. We get an exterior shot of the house, the same rental house. But it's in the past, obviously. Yep. Everything's nice and, and green and well-kept. And... uh Bright and colorful. Mm-hmm. It's also shot in a different aspect ratio. I yeah, get, I like that about yeah, it. Yeah, it goes to 4.3. And I think maybe a, a wide lens, too. Because everything looks kind of surreal. Yeah. It was a good choice. Yeah. And we see a man leave the house. 
And we see it's Richard Brake, so we know that's bad news. So you know some shit's going on. Yeah, something, something shady's happening here. And he is Frank, who appears to be the owner of the house we've been focused on. Mm-hmm. And he gets in his car, and we see some of the rest of the neighborhood, and there's you know kids riding bikes, people watering yeah. their lawns. All perfectly. the houses are good, nothing wrong. Yeah, very suburban type. Um, there's some like TV radio interstitial stuff where we learn that this is the 80s. Yep. We're talking about Reagan. Yep. And he gets to the store he's going to, and he's asking for plastic sheets and diapers. Yep. It's funny because the clerk's really trying to help him, and so she's asking all these questions. He's like, oh, it's a home birth. Yeah, yeah. And then she's like, oh, you're going to need this and this and yeah. this. And didn't your midwife tell you this? And he's like, eh, we don't got no midwife. Yeah, she's like, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> and just get some everything he needs. And then she's like, you're going to need some good gloves. <laughs> and he's like, all right, sure. Yeah, and Brake is very Richard Brake here. Yeah. You know, he's just... You know, laconic and intimidating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he gets back to his car. And I like how the camera's also kind of locked on him the entire time. This made me think of angst a little bit. Mm, yep. I felt yep. like it was a send-up to that. It, it's almost like the camera is floating around him. Yeah, it's like it's hooked to his back. And it's like that video gamey, like, over yeah. the shoulder. Yeah, it's like this, there's this invisible tether between him and the camera. Yeah. Uh, but while he's in the car, he spies a woman that he must fancy. Mm-hmm. So he follows her home, gets into his trunk. He's got his coveralls, and I liked it because it's almost like the Michael Myers it coveralls is. look. Yeah. yeah, and doesn't isn't there like a tag that says Carlos, like a yeah. name tag on the front? <laughs> uh, he says he's there with like the water department or something, right? Mm-hmm. He needs to inspect the house. There have been outages. She's very trusting. She lets him in. He goes to the bathroom, unlocks a window, comes back out, says everything looks fine here. Have a good day. Uh, we see him get back to the house Uh, a neighbor stops him calls him Frank that's when we learn his name the neighbor says that hey we're selling we're moving this neighborhood's going to hell yeah he says are you gonna move and Frank says I ain't going nowhere (laughs) gets back in his house goes down the hallway opens the basement door and we hear muffled screaming and Mm -hmm. cries for help so it's clear that uh, Frank's been abducting women at least since the 80s. At least since the 80s. And it seems like, yeah, the underground complex is to stash him away. Yeah. Uh, so back in the present. Mm-hmm. Which I'm going to say, now that we're past it, this segment was too short. I thought it was like really good, and I wish there was more of it. I agree. Yeah. I could have done more of this, too. Especially Richard Brake. Yeah. It's always great. You never get enough Richard Brake. Um, back in the present with Tess and AJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tess tells him he has to be calm and not freak the woman out. Yep. And says that all she wants is for them to be her baby. Gotta be her baby. And this is when the woman is leaning down into the pit and she has this horrible, old, gross-looking yes, milk bottle yes. that she's forcing toward AJ. And AJ won't drink it. Mm-hmm. But she leans it toward Tess and Tess drinks it. Yep. <laughs> so the woman like you know, shoves it back toward... AJ and it's got like hair on it and everything. Yeah. Oh, so gross. Which I read a funny note about that 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 wasn't intentional. But really? when they were doing the scene, just like how they did the makeup for um, they they just call it the mother, but uh-huh, okay, uh, how they did the makeup and stuff for that, like it just accidentally got hair on there, and then they're like, no, we should keep that. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's so gross. Uh, and she's like, I ain't fucking drinking that. <laughs> <laughs> so she gets mad. She comes down, and the, we'll call her the mother from now on. I guess mm-hmm. uh, starts treating Tess like her baby. She tries this with AJ, but he screams, and she drags him out of the pit and down the tunnel. 
Yeah, he needs a little re-education. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's being a bad boy. But notably, this gives Tess finally the opportunity to escape. <laughs> but the mother drags her drags AJ back to the nursing room. Yeah. And does the boop thing. Yeah. Oh man, that was so funny. That <laughs> cracked the fuck out of me. <laughs> the editing, the one it was perfect. But yeah, Tess gets out of the pits, uh, starts creeping down the hallway, and she sees the mother force breastfeeding AJ mm-hmm. <laughs> sneaks past <laughs> gets down the hole a bit but hits that pesky tape uh, measure yep so the mother hears the noise cries out starts running after her which she tries to talk we should talk about that but she can't really form words too well yeah it's like you can hear her say like baby mm-hmm. baba she- it's like baby talk basically yeah. is all she's all she's doing um, so Tess, that door is shut. Tess can't get out. She runs back to that little window, manages to break it out. Yeah, she's tr- she just breaks it the fuck out and crawls yeah. through regardless of the consequences. Yep. And the man we saw from before comes running out and he's calling her little girl again. It's like, you know, why'd you go in that house? I told you not to go in that house. <laughs> and he's pulling her out. And then the woman, the mother comes and like lunges out, but can't reach her. And she retreats back. So she shrinks away from the sunlight almost. Yeah, it's almost like a vampire. Uh, Which we should lay down some stuff here. The the homeless guy that is there, that's played by James Butler. And the mother is played by Matthew Patrick Davis. Okay. Good performance is all. Mm -hmm. And uh, the homeless guy, I don't think he ever gets a name. Uh, I think it's Andre. I think it's we hear Andre. it like one time. Okay, all right. Yeah. So Andre's like, uh, don't go in that house. You shouldn't be in there. <laughs> but, he's, but he says she won't come out in the daylight. Yeah. But when night falls, she's going to come looking for you. Yeah. So you better get out of here. If you're going to go, do it now. And to her credit, Tess is like, you know, there's someone else in there. We've got to save him. Mm-hmm. But Andre's like, no, forget it. He's done. He's, yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> meanwhile... AJ's free now. Yep, and he's using his phone to navigate through the darkness. I'm kind of wondering why I never saw them try to call anyone. You might not get signal service down there. Yeah, it would have been quick to show that, though. But I don't I don't mm. think they ever did. I think that should have been established. I think it can Maybe. be inferred. Yeah. but I figured it was self-evident that yeah. when you're in your subterranean lair <laughs> beneath your house. Hey, man, I get great reception down there. I mean... Oh, do you um, have like a booster or something down there? Yeah, of course. Okay. What, you think I'm a fucking amateur? <laughs> <laughs> um but he finds he, it, it's interesting he's kind of going along and then you see a bell on the wall yeah and, and there's like some like wires chain, connected yeah. to it so he starts following that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he gets to a door that all these cables and wires are going through mm-hmm. and he's kind of like uh, <laughs> rightfully suspicious <laughs> but then the mother is creeping up behind him yep so he's like fuck it i'm going through this door and then once he does, the mother stops. Yeah, she, and, she, she seems reluctant to go any yeah. further. And there's that cool shot where she just sort of retreats into the darkness. Mm-hmm. And Fades out. Yeah. Um, but this is sort of like a little like personal bedroom kind of thing that he finds. <laughs> yeah, it's littered with shit. Yeah. It's garbage everywhere. There's this TV on, not playing anything. Um, piles and piles of VHS tapes. Yeah. And we get um, what's clearly Frank, but now elderly and bedridden. That's much older, much older. And uh, AJ's like, hey, uh, we're going to get out of here. The cops are going to come. They're going to be swarming this place. This bitch is going to pay for what she's done. (laughs) It says a lot that he immediately assumes that Frank is a victim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And Frank's like gesturing for the bedside table. <laughs> and, you know, AJ's like, I don't know what you want. Earlier, he'd got him some water. And he's like, I don't know what you want. So he just moves the whole table toward him. Meanwhile, Tess has gotten to a gas station and uh, is talking to some cops who obviously couldn't give a shit about her situation. Yeah, they couldn't care less. Yeah. She manages to finally get them to go back to the house. Yeah, but they're like, we don't see any evidence of a crime. We see you've broken this window, which is shitty detective work because the glass, you know, is... <laughs> Outward. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, they, again, they don't give a shit. No, they get a call about a shooting, and they're just kind of, well... Yeah, they're just going to go. We have more important things to deal with. Yep. They threatened to arrest her, and I would have been like, okay, fine. Yeah, just take me away from here. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, AJ's in that room and he sees rows and rows of VHS tapes mm-hmm. with like women's names on them or descriptions. Yeah, some are just like redhead. Yeah. Uh, yeah, one says gas station redhead. Yeah. That's sticking out of the VCR. Well, he pops it in there and... We don't see it, but we hear. We hear a little bit and AJ's reaction tells us all we need to know. Yeah, They give you all the clues with that room that you saw the yeah. camcorder and stuff. You know what's going on in there. Uh, but meanwhile, Frank finally gets that drawer open <laughs> and pulls out a gun, which you think, oh, okay, so he's going to be like sinister to AJ, but that's uh-huh. not the case. Nope. Offs himself. Yep. Meanwhile, Tess is um, in the house again and getting her car keys. And night has fallen, and she kind of pulls away where she's like facing the house. And mother comes for yep. it. Yeah, she comes running out the front door and <laughs> Tess guns it. Slams into her, slams into the side of the house, and pins her in between the house and the car. And it seems like she dies because she kind of just slumps over yeah, the Yeah, she like slams against it for a bit, breaks the windshield, but yeah, then she just stops. And... Mm-hmm. Of course, we know better, don't we? Of course. We've seen these movies. It's a horror film with some runtime left. <laughs> so now AJ has the gun, and Tess is going down the tunnels to find him. He's trying to creep out. She sees a light. And then we, he's, she even starts to say hello, but then we yeah. hear the gunshot. And she's <laughs> got a GSW to the stomach. Yeah. And uh, he's like, oh shit, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And starts dragging her out. Which is like, what did you think? You had the light, you had everything. Yeah, right. Yeah, again, it's just all about self-preservation. He even knew there was someone else there. Uh, but so they make it out. Mm-hmm. And when they get out, they see that mother's gone. She's yeah, body's gone. unwedged from the car. Yep. And AJ doesn't want to go back into the house, he says. So they just start walking down the street. Mm-hmm. And Andre catches up with them again. Mm-hmm. Kind of guides them and says, I know a place we can take shelter in. Yep. And then we get a little bit of backstory. Not much. Not a big info dump or Some breadcrumbs. Yeah. He says that that crazy woman was born there. Always been there. Never left. And said that her daddy was there making babies with the babies he made. <laughs> and then AJ seems to have a moment of reflection. Because he's talking about how he has to get help for Tess because he hurt her. Yeah. He says he's done bad things. He says that he's a bad person. Or maybe he's a good person that did some bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says he can't change those things, but he could try to fix it. I think that's still just him BSing himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Andre's like, uh, you'll be safe here. She never comes here. And yeah. You're expecting it. On cue, she busts <laughs> through the fucking wall like Kool-Aid man. And rips his fucking arm off. It's sad that he's like 
the most helpful and innocent person in this. Yeah. He gets like one of the worst deaths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gets beaten by his own arm. So AJ and Tess run off, and they're like kind of like in this little section where they're surrounded by barbed wire mm-hmm. fence. It's like a little industrial area. Yeah, and they can't get out. But they're like, oh, let's climb this water tower. Sure. Okay. Why not? Oh, and you know, there's a funny thing here that we should set up because we, we missed it because it was so inconsequential. But um, when AJ first goes into the basement, he takes a knife with him. Right. And the first chance he has to use it, he fumbles and drops the knife. Yes. So when they're going up this water tower, he's got the gun. Yeah. And he eventually fumbles and drops the gun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, they, they get up there. Mother corners them. Yeah, he realizes that he can't get away. And then he has a you look. you slow me down. Yeah. Yeah, he has a look. He's like, I know what I can do. I know how I can get away. And I'll come back with help. But you have to slow her down. And he just shoves her. Yeah. And the mother. And she's like skidding down the water tower over the curve. And the mother sees this and freaks out and runs and dives. Tries to save her. Yeah. And AJ looks over the side and we see Tess laying on the mother. Mm-hmm. They're both on the ground. There's blood pooling behind the mother's head. Uh, he runs down. And, oh, he, he even says, come get your baby when he throws Tess off. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, he runs <laughs> down and Tess is still alive. Surprisingly. Surprisingly. Uh, and he says, like, he's sorry, but he had to do it. Yeah, there was no other way. And he's like, I didn't even let go. You just kind of slipped. <laughs> <laughs> so he's backpedaling, making excuses for himself again. Mm-hmm. Which um, is funny because this is the prime time where it's like, empty that gun into Mother. Yeah. You know, confirm the kill. Yeah, but, uh, but he fails to do so. Mother wakes up, pushes her gross, sharp <laughs> thumbnails into his eyes. Some good gore here. Mm-hmm. And literally rips his head apart. <laughs> yup. Very definitive. Mm-hmm. And then the mother is like, seems genuinely concerned for Tess. Mm-hmm. She's worried. She's like cradling her. They're trying to pick her up, mm-hmm. take her back to the house. Um, but Tess has managed to get a hold of the gun. Yeah. Holds it up against her head. And you don't know if the mother really realizes what this is or not. Or maybe mm-hmm. she does and is resigned to it. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to read, uh, I guess, like her Yeah, but she doesn't like, attack. She just sits there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Tess shoots. And our final shot is her limping away as the sun starts to come up. The song Be My Baby starts playing. Yes, yeah, so we need to talk about that <laughs> for sure. Okay. But yeah, that's the, that's the movie. Yep, sure is. So I have many a note about this film. All right, all right. Lay it on me, man. So, where to begin? Uh, I guess we'll start with the director, Zach Kreger. Um, so, he's on record as saying the script for this started out because he read Gavin De Becker's book, The Gift of Fear. And that's a book that kind of encourages women to trust their intuition whenever they're confronted by obviously dangerous men. And Kreger said he basically used the book as a writing exercise that he could take this concept and turn it into a story. And so he came up with this premise for a 30-minute short that was entirely just a conversation where a woman continues to ignore a bunch of red flags that keep mounting up as she's interacting with this strange man. Yep. And he liked that well enough that he knew this was, like, perfect to turn mm-hmm. into a movie. And then he wanted to, like, make it a full feature-length thing, so he started to, like, conceptualize how do I build out from that now into a full narrative. Right. And that's a very interesting... <clears throat> Subject to very interesting. I haven't read the book, but it sounds interesting. But it's I've seen psychologists talk about this. It's like how people not not just women, but mm-hmm. of course women are the ones who are usually victimized. 
but it's like you have a gut reaction to something. Right. But then there's that polite part of us that's like, mm-hmm. I shouldn't think that. You know, I shouldn't mistrust this individual just right, because right. they look a little shady or something. Um, but that goes back, right? That's like basically like us having like fucking animal brain. Right. Where it's like when we were just like wandering around in a field and we hear like a rustle to the right. And it's yeah. like, oh, that's something that's going to kill or, me. I should fucking run away. Yeah. Something unexpected or someone unfamiliar comes to you. Mm-hmm. And, okay, yeah, maybe, you know, you don't need to be rude. Or, and people <laughs> right. are afraid they're going to be rude or something. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, and they always say, listen to your instincts, especially if you're a woman. Listen to your gut. You um, know, if you think you're in a bad situation, you probably are. A film, I think, that leans into that really well. And it's pretty recent. It's uh, Speak No Evil. Which the, one was this? It's the one where it's the family and they meet the other family oh, on vacation. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. yeah. That, the whole core of that is that whole, like, I want to be polite. I can't be rude. Right. And they just get yes fucking ended into, like, the worst situation oh, ever. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah. Oh, they're trying to remake that in America. Oh, Did you know that? Fuck that. Jesus Christ. It's perfectly fine like it is. Yeah. Um. Let's see. What else? We've got... Um. He, he was on record as saying that he had a hard time getting this movie made. Huh. Mostly due to its unconventional style and the premise. Um, he actually pitched it to A24 initially because it seemed like the kind of thing. Yeah, that's right up their alley. Being their wheelhouse, kind of an artsy horror film with like a you know a, d- a deeper message and whatnot. And A24 passed on it. That's odd. Uh, a, it, a rare misstep on their part. Maybe. Maybe. No, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the end, 20th Century decided that they were going to give it a chance because they thought you know could probably at least make its budget back. Uh, in the end, we've got this film that um, was on, was I think a $4 million budget, and I think they got that back about like 10 times. Yeah, it made over $40 million. Yeah. And of course, it got great reviews, rave reviews. I think it's done incredible on streaming as well. Mm-hmm. I know Net- what Netflix had it exclusive for a little bit at first. I think so, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see, some just general production stuff. The exterior neighborhood shots were filmed in Brightmoor, which is an actual area of Detroit. Yeah. Um, but most of the film was shot in Sofia, Bulgaria. Okay. I'm sure that was just a cost-saving oh, sure. measure. You can't really tell. No. Um, instead of being a full body suit, the design for Mother was based on just having the actor effectively naked and then using a lot of makeup application to kind of build up into that look. Hmm. Uh, it's very effective. I give them props for not doing any kind of CG weirdness. Oh, I agree completely. Yeah. I do it practical. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the expose that's about AJ, you see it for a second, the news thing. Mm-hmm. It's listed as being written by Kim Masters, who's a real-life reporter at that publication. Um, she became famous in the wake of Harvey Weinstein's case for breaking stories about men in the film and TV industry uh, accused of sexual assaults. Mm, yes. So that's a very tiny thing, but it just kind of asserts it into the reality. Right. Of that whole thing and like the Me Too movement and all sure. that. Thought that was very clever. Um, apparently, originally, the role of AJ was offered to Zach Afron. He turned it down. And I guess originally they thought like he was the perfect choice for it. And when he turned <laughs> he it... He just screams douchebag. Yeah. When he turned it down, <laughs> it made Kreger say... He said that he made him start rethinking the role and how you could portray it. Mm-hmm. And that when he started kind of imagining other ways it could be besides his initial perception... That's when they settled on Justin Long. Interesting. That was a good casting choice. Because mm-hmm. again, he is he is so likable. He is so so friendly, and right. you want to like him. Mm-hmm. And then just in this scenario, the character is constantly repulsing sure. you. And that's what predators also rely on. You know, yeah. th- their magnetism. So I think that's a great call. Um, Zach Kreger has a little cameo in the film, 
He is actually AJ's film, AJ's friend at the bar. Ah, yes. We see like the back of his head. Yeah. Um, let's see. Special effects were pretty much all practical. Um, they, As it should be. they said that Kreger made a soft rule when working on the film that he didn't want to use any technology that John Carpenter didn't have access to when he made the thing. <laughs> Fucking right. Because if the thing could look as good as it does then in 82, they should be able to do the same thing now. Gee, yeah. You think so, that the prequel they made would have used yeah. the same motto, but <clears throat> that prequel, man, we would be talking about that prequel if they had stuck their guns. Yeah, absolutely. On it. Um, but the one big digital effect shot is from the 1980s flashback. They had to use some CG to fill in the grass in certain areas. Okay. Um, because when they tried to grow it or fake it, it just never came out right. That's forgivable because yeah. it's hyper stylized anyway. Yeah. It looks like something from like a David Lynch film. It almost. builds that visual yeah. that the aspect ratio and everything else is setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Um, when interviewed about the kind of the tone of the film and the way it kind of sort of shifts, uh, Kreger said that to him, when he was thinking about the visual presentation of the film, he wanted it to be a Fincher movie on the top floor and a Raimi movie underground. Nice. I like that. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, let's see some little, little shot, little like nod things in there. Um, when AJ's going through the luggage in the Airbnb in Keith's suitcase, he finds a copy of Jane Eyre. Mm Mm-hmm. And so if you know the story of Jane Eyre, that has an insane woman that gets locked away <laughs> and is like kind of sealed away from the world. Right. So it's one of those like literary references that if you know it, mm-hmm. a little smirk, a little smirk. Uh, let's see. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Oh, this is just sort of a fun thing. Uh, Richard Brake shared a story on Instagram about going to a late night screening of the movie and um, he said that when he was seeing it, there were a group of teenagers that were a few rows behind him, and they were really into it, and they were super terrified and, like, screaming and jumping at every beat. Awesome. Uh, made them super happy. But when it was over, they were trying to get out of the theater, and the lights hadn't come back up yet. And so they kind of whipped off their phones and turned on their flashlights and were just, like, initially, like, waving them around to orientate themselves. And they landed on Richard Brake's face. <laughs> And he kind of sneered at them, and they screamed and ran off. That's hilarious. (laughs) Which is just fucking amazing. You know he had to love that. Oh, yeah. He's he's just so good at what he does and just leans into it. Um, So then uh, that brings us to kind of the last main thing I wanted to talk about as far as fun stuff, and that is that end song, Be My Baby. Yeah. Um, Do you know know the story behind this? I actually don't know. Okay. Um, So it was written and produced by Phil Spector. Oh, God. Uh, who for a time was married to the lead singer of the Ronettes from 68 to 74. Um, so Ronnie claimed that she was imprisoned in Spectre's California mansion and underwent psychological torment for years, and that it was only with the help of her mother that she escaped barefoot from the mansion in 1972. Jesus Christ. Uh, also, Spectre's two sons claimed that he held them captive for years, with one of the sons describing himself as coming from a very sick, twisted, dysfunctional family. So when you you look at the song "Be My Baby" and the lyrics, it kind of echoes mm. in a weird way some of those themes. And then when you have that as a lens, that kind of mirrors what's happened with Tess in the film, and then even the whole like captivity thing that Frank is perpetrating from the start. Oh, and it's also even with all those reports and stuff, Phil Spector got away with all that shit for years and years and years because yeah. he was a big important album producer. And then eventually he shot Lana Clarkson, piece yeah. of shit. 
Which in a lot of ways it's like the Weinstein thing. That's just like another echo of that. Yeah. You have this very powerful just, person that's an open secret. They can, they can do whatever they want because they have money. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I have to talk about that's kind of an ancillary thing is let's talk about the title. Mm-hmm. Why is it called Barbarian? Hmm. Let me give you what Zach Kreger said. Okay. Which was that Barbarian was kind of a working title. And that there was really no... He just picked that randomly to have. Mm-hmm. And thought, I'll come up with a better name when I do. <laughs> but he didn't. <laughs> and by the end of it, he was like, you know what? I kind of like calling it Barbarian. If I were to hazard a guess, I would say it would have to do mostly with uh, AJ's character. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the Barbarian of the story. I mean, sure, Frank is too. But he, he's not really the focus of the story. You know, they both use women in their own ways. One in a much more obvious extreme yeah. way than the other. Um, but it's barbaric behavior. True. What do you think? Well, let me give you some popular theories online. No oh God. I think this is funny. Mm. Um, this is a fan one that gets repeated a lot. So the title is barbarian. And in the film, you have an Airbnb on Barbary street. So it's the Barbary Inn. Barbarian. I fucking hate that. I do too. Good. I'm glad we're on the same page. I really fucking hate that. Um, There's some other ideas that have been thrown out there. So the term barbarian, of course, that comes back from ancient times. Um, You have like stuff like Romans. They would call non-Latin speakers barbarians because their language. Right. They would say it sounds like they're just saying like bar, bar, bar. (laughs) Um, And so some people equate that to the mother, right? The way she speaks. She can only really speak in like a broken language. She's never really learned right. how to influence or interact. Um, and of course, the more obvious connection you might want to make is with Frank, as he is kidnapping and raping women, and then also perpetrating evils to his his children. Pretty barbaric. Which is very yeah. barbaric. Um, and then this is the one I was like, hmm, I wonder about this. So some say it's a commentary on the typical 80s, like macho hero tones, a lot of films set. Uh, think of like a Conan, right? Or any of those other like barbarian movies where mm-hmm. you've got this rugged ripped male lead and he kind of just forces his way through everything. and gets Like the, the barbarian brothers. Gets the woman at the end <laughs> yeah. and, and she's his and he won her. Right. And he went out and he took her. By right and might. Yes. By right and might, the same way that Frank is kind of just going out by, by might, which in his case, makes right mm-hmm. to abduct these women. Um, I don't know if the film set out to make that point, but I thought it was... I mean, it kind of dovetails with the whole, you know, mm-hmm. meaning of the word barbarian. So, okay. I, I don't think it's necessarily yeah. that direct, but yeah. No, as for me, I never really settled on a reason that that's the title. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of just a thing that left me puzzled. Okay. I like my interpretation. I think it works. Cool. Well, what do you think about this film? Um, I like this movie. I think it's a very well-made, well-acted, well-crafted movie. Uh, Is it the best thing ever? No. Mm -hmm. Is it fun as hell? Yeah, I like it a lot. I like the fact that, especially if you don't know what's going on, you go into it blind, you're not really sure where it's going. And I always like to be surprised in a movie. Um, And this one was fairly surprising. I mean, it gets into some, you know, more or less kind of rote territory, if you've seen a lot of horror films. Mm Mm-hmm. Toward the end, you kind of know the beats. You know what's going to happen once you understand the situation completely. Yeah, it's just getting to that point. Getting the to that like point. fun part, right? Um, but I think the characters and the actors really carry the movie. 
you know, and, and the film crapped itself. Um, is it the most important movie ever made? No. You know, is it, is it, is it the best horror film even in the last few years? No, but it's definitely memorable. Mm-hmm. And if I had to make a list of the top 25 movies of the top past, 25 <laughs> uh, of the, of the, of the, uh, it would make the best of list of the movies of the 2020 so far. Okay. You know, it might not crack the top 10, but it'd be right around there. Mm, okay. You know, um, so I dig it. I like it. I think it's a fun time. I think people, some people can really overanalyze it and actually get upset by it. They think it's woke. They think uh, it is yeah. uh, anti-male or something. You know, mm. it, it's saying that if if you're a bro frat dude, you probably won't like this movie. Well, see, I got a whole thing about that of like people that get that sort of hang up with the film. And it's like, I feel like it's coming from a place where it's like, I'm a dude and that's not me. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, why are you so reflexive? Why are you so yeah? yeah. Why, why be so reflexive about it? Uh-huh. Like, why does it bother you that much? If no that, one's saying if, it's if that's you. not you, then it's okay. But you have to accept that there are other people that right. are that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't stand it yeah. when people watch a movie and they're like, "Oh, that's talking about me." Yeah, it's saying that all men are this way, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, clearly not. Keith's not that way. Mm-hmm. You know, Andre's not that way. Not all men are that way. Yeah. But you know what? A disturbing amount of men are. Yes. Enough to make it a fucking problem <laughs> and enough to make women feel like they could be victimized at any minute, you know? Mm-hmm. So fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I just think about the fact we have this movie and then within a very short equal amount of time, we also had Alex Garland's men, mm. which tackles some of the same ideas I still haven't seen from a that. different God, angle. I need to watch that. And it's like, you know, clearly there's a, there's ground here to, to dig into and well, think th- about and talk about. Especially the whole Me Too movement. Yeah, yeah. yeah obviously, <laughs> there's systemic abuse happening. Yeah. You know? And it, it warrants examination. Yeah. And toxic masculinity warrants examination. Hell yeah. <laughs> and this movie does it. And it does it in an entertaining way. I don't think it's preachy. No. You know, it's not... If you come away sympathizing with AJ in any way, do you really just you, you may want to seek some help. <laughs> <laughs> you might have some issues and we want you to get help. But he's just a nice guy and he was just trying to do he his was, best. She was just she was playing hard to get, you know. He just he just <laughs> Yeah. Woo. There was no imbalance of power, you know, him being the director or producer or whatever. Ugh. <laughs> oh, whatever. Anyway, that, that's what, just like he has the gun and then he shoots her and he's like, oh, but it was an accident. Yeah, yeah. Like, oopsies. What do you think of the movie? So, Oh, I didn't give him a rating. Uh, yeah, rating. What's your star rating? I'm going to give it three and a half. Ooh, okay. Cool. Interesting. We're actually closer than I thought. It's in between good and it's a little bit better than good, but not quite great. Um, I would say I am mixed on this film. Mm-hmm. It's where I would start from. Um, I have a lot of high praise. Also have some heavy criticisms, yeah. And I think it's fine to have both and still appreciate a movie. Well, but, sure. Um, so I love the first act. I think that first act, the, the original, like kind of quote unquote short film idea, yeah. The the source, I think that is just fucking brilliant and so good. Um, I do agree with him that it kind of needs to go somewhere after that. Right. So yeah, it's got to be more to it, I guess. But um, I I just don't know if where it goes, if how I feel about that part. So it's like um. I like the idea of these like other narratives, but I do think in some ways they took me out of the movie when mm. they happened. 
Because okay. it is such a hard cut and then like a straight reset. Um, And yeah, it just kind of pulled me out. Because in that moment, it's like you get the monster finally. And then you go through Keith dying and you barely get a second to process that. And then you're like... Who's this AJ guy? Here's this yeah. goofy Justin Long thing going on. <laughs> and it goes for a good while before it kind of loops mm-hmm. back into everything. Um, I don't know, because Tiffany watched this with me. I've mentioned that a few times. She chimed in. And she, when it first cut to AJ, she was kind of like, oh, is this going to be like an fabric thing? And it's like an anthology film, and it's kind of just about this house ah. and the people that stumble there and fall prey to it kind of right. thing. Or, or where, where is that going? Mm-hmm. And then... Um, it just, the, everything with AJ, it's like, it becomes another film at that point, which I think is fine. But I also think like it goes too long in that before it ever like meshes back in well. But then on the other hand, the flashback with Frank, I thought was like super compelling and so well done. The fact that they changed that aspect ratio, they kind of jazzed up and made it like dreamy, surreally. Mm-hmm. I really wanted more of that almost. Cause that's where you're getting like the meat of like. The, the background, here's the origin point to this, this, is where, like, it started and then became perpetuated sure. more and more. And then also just the fact that it's fucking Richard Brake. Right. It's like, yeah. you, if you got him in your film, man, use him. Use, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now that I've seen this, I feel like I can see where the comparisons come to Cobweb. Because you've got, okay, you've got this creature that's hidden mm-hmm. in, in the walls, basement. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got, like, several different kind of ideas kind of being meshed together of different tones sure. and themes. Um, again, it's one where you can kind of compare it back to people under the stairs. I think it's like a origin source point for some ideas. Cause you have these like deformed locked away, creatures sure. that are locked away. You've got, um, they don't get into it a ton in barbarian so much, but there is a bit about like gentrification in here. Oh, right. Where this is like a shitty and ran down neighborhood in a city that's become more affluent around it. And the whole decay of the American dream. Yeah. The decay of the American dream. And the fact that like AJ's just exploiting this house, basically just for money. Yeah. Um, so I feel like the film wants to talk about a lot of stuff. It wants to talk about toxic masculinity. It wants to talk about like the me too movement. It wants to talk about gentrification kind of even wants to talk a little bit about Reagan era politics, which is also meshed up in some of those ideas. Sure. Um, but for you, know, like you brought up the point, like some people are like, Oh, this movie's too woke. I'm going to say, I don't feel like it went far enough for me. Okay. I feel like it kind of brought up a lot of these ideas and then it never like pushed it somewhere. Okay. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, we did kill AJ. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, he was punished for what he did, I guess. But I just felt like when it was done, I felt like I wanted a little more or something. Okay. Um, the other thing I got to rag on is with the mother. Mm-hmm. And this is maybe just a me thing. And especially if you're listening to this and you've seen this movie, Write in and let me know what you think on this angle, but it's like, I'm so tired of the old people are scary thing. <laughs> but old people are scary. Like we, we got that in X. <laughs> I kid. And I hated it in X. That was like that was where that movie started to fall apart for me. And then I hate it even more here. And also the whole like the the like inbreeding makes you super mutant thing. Well, I mean, eventually it will. Um, <laughs> I mean, will it give you superpowers? <laughs> no. But it will, you know, um, fuck up your physiology. And then it's also one of those things where it's like you don't want to question the lore because they do keep it vague. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, okay, so he's he's abducting women, he's raping them, and then he's raping the kids and making kids from the kids. And then eventually at some point when you go down that line, you get what the mother is. 
Okay. And that was in the the 80s to now. It's like, how many generations does it take to where it's not a person anymore and it's this super mutant thing? Right, right. And that's... I got real hung up on that for some reason. And okay. It, I just went along with it. I didn't. I don't know. Me. It's like you almost don't even need that story from Andre at that point. Like, why even throw that in? Because that's what that's what made me start thinking about it. And I was like, hold on, how long has he been doing this, and how many generations did he go through mm-hmm. before it's what the mother is? And I, I don't know. And I feel like that was a where Cobweb kind of stumbled for me too, where they started to try to explain the daughter, but then they didn't really explain it enough. But they explained it just enough that you start to ask questions about it. See, I would, I, I think it explains it enough that you accept the concept. I think that's all that matters, hmm. but eh. perhaps <clears throat> for you, but I, I, can, I can see your complaint. Um, um bu- 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 bu. but real see. quick, I do want to talk about how you mentioned the Justin long segment maybe went on a little too long. Oh yeah. But I really like that segment, too, because I do like how it does humanize him. He's not just a stereotype. He's not just mm-hmm. a bad guy. He does have layers. Yeah. You know, um, that's people have layers. You know, people who do the most horrible thing can also turn around and be, you know, perfectly nice and socially yeah. charming. So I, I do like that. It wasn't mm-hmm. just a one-dimensional portrayal of a shitty dirtbag. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Um. So then I guess to loop us back around some, the performances are great across the board, 100%. Mm-hmm. Literally throw it up against any other performance. Everybody's doing awesome. Yep. Uh, camera work is great. Lots of good angles, lots of good visuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The whole like 80s flashback trick is just brilliant. I love that. Even some of just the framing of things, like the fact that she pulls up and they light it so you can't see the rest of the neighborhood. Yeah. So then you get that reveal the next day yeah, when she great. steps out. It's great. Um. I just think that as a film, this is like super competently made on a technical level. Mm-hmm. Like if you told me to just rate the technicalness of the film, I would give it five stars, hands down. Never even think about it. It's a very impressive debut. Um, yeah, especially for a first timer. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I have to then hold up the story and like analyze the story and talk about that and like themes and stuff, that's where it starts to get like shakier for me. Starts to kind of pull apart a little bit at the seams. And I start to go like, hmm, what's going on? I don't know about this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about this. So I think that as someone who is a devotee of A24 and really champions them in that style, I almost feel like I can kind of see why they would look at this pitch and walk away from it. I think it's a little too pedestrian for them, for lack of a better word. Like, I feel like... I don't, and I don't even love every A24 film, right? Oh, I think no. like uh, The Green Knight was like a little weaker for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I feel like they're, they're ones that are very successful, that do the thing, mm-hmm. and then they blow up and become really popular. So this isn't artsy enough for A24. They, all of those films have the same quality to them where they have a point, and they eventually push you to that point, and then like, boom, they put the fucking period down and make the statement, mm-hmm. and then like mic drop and leave you with it. Okay. And I felt like this never pushed me to that point. Mm, fair um, enough. No, I don't think that's bad of it. Right. I just, it is what it is. I mean, comparing it to the best of A24 <laughs> films is perhaps a bit unfair. Um. So, yeah. So, when you factor all that in, I gave this a... I'm confident at a three. Three, yeah. I mean, I think, we're right I think there. it's very good. I think the people that are, like, hardcore champion it and are giving it five stars, I can see why you're going there. Sure. And I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, um, I don't fault you. If you're out there like one starring it and saying, you know, get woke, go broke, no. Yeah, no. Uh, 
Maybe you need to do a little self-reflection there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so competently made. Even saying like this is his first feature and I give it a three, anything he does next. Oh, yeah. I, I'm there front row for it. Absolutely. I want to see what else he can do, what more he can bring to the table. Um, if this was just you know a first swing, if he refines that more, where can that go? Mm-hmm. That intrigues me a ton. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, he's definitely someone to be watching for. So, yeah, that's... Uh, we're actually a lot closer in score than I thought we oh, would yeah, be. Absolutely. I thought you'd be a little higher, maybe, because you had really talked up how much you liked it. But... No, I did like it. I mean, you know, a three and a half from me is <laughs> like a five from other people. So. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm so stingy. So, yeah, if you've seen this, write in, let us know what you think. Let us know, too, like thoughts you have. Like, why is it called Barbarian? Do you mm-hmm. have a cool idea about why it's called that? Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of the themes? You know? We always want to know what you're thinking as well. We do. And thank you, Jessica, for suggesting this one. I yeah. was glad to watch it, glad to cross it off. It's a good suggestion. Uh, Zach Kreger is going to join my list of like new directors that I keep an eye on. Hell for sure. yeah. So, awesome. Celebrate it for that, if nothing else. Wonderful. So, man, that is the end of a block, right? Yes, we've completed our Octoberness. And we have one more block to close out the year. Okay. What is it? Well, it's my pick. Mm-hmm. And we're, since we're deep in on horror and everyone's happy with it, I gotta fuck with that a little bit. Of course. And take us somewhere else for a little while to close out the year. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe you could still get horror with this premise. I think you can. I think you can. I think there's room to play around in it. Um, so we're gonna do, and this is maybe a, a new thing for us here. Um, we've talked about different permutations of what we can do with our format, right? And we can talk about a genre. Mm-hmm. But we could also talk about like a topic or sure. like a director yeah. or. We've mentioned that from the start, but we've never really... Right, we've already kind of stuck with genre. Because like, there's so many. Yeah. And and even now we're in the third year of this and we've still not like hit every major genre. No. Because uh, yeah, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. Um, but I want to do a topic this time. Okay. Instead of a genre. Mm-hmm. And it's a topic that's a type of movie that is very near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. And I love all of these films and this style. We've film. already done Pinku films. I know. <laughs> well, now we're going to do pinky violence. No, 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 no. But I think those are good for like once a year. But um, <laughs> we are going to do this topic. Movies that are about making movies. Ah. When you think about it, there's quite a lot of those. Because, mm-hmm. of course, if we're using a movie to talk about ideas, one of those can be about the very act of making a movie. Sure. Okay. I get you. Um, I'm interested in what you'll come up with. and then Yeah, me too, because I have no idea right now. Uh, when you start doing research, yeah, it'll kind of unfold, and you'll be like, hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but I got to kick us off. And if you're paying close attention to our watches this year, you'll know that I haven't done my obligatory once a year Shion Sono film. <laughs> of course and so. wouldn't you know it, my boy's done two films that count for this category. <laughs> okay, but we're just watching one, <laughs> We're right? just going to do one. <laughs> Uh, so to kick it all off, getting in, it usually happens at the end of the year because I kind of like tease and play with when I'm going to throw one in. and then <laughs> You like to edge your yeah, like edge as long as you all can. Year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to go back to 2013 and we're going to check out his film, Why Don't You Play in Hell? That's a great title. Which is a gonzo, crazy, ensemble cast film about a group of filmmakers that decide they want to make the greatest film ever made. And to do that, they're going to link up with two Yakuza clans that are at a war. And they want to film their actual battle mm. to make the most authentic and most epic Yakuza film ever made. That sounds dangerous. And it's it's all the stuff you expect from Sono. It's bombastic. It's crazy. It's over the top. Is it four hours long? Uh, no, actually. It's um, a little over two. Okay. All right. 
Um, and this is easily streaming and out there. If it's not on an actual service to stream for free, you can rent it, I know. Um, it was released in the U.S. as part of the Alamo Drafthouse Select okay. line they were doing. Uh, so very easy to get at. And yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll launch us into this discussion about movies about making movies. Interesting. I am looking forward to this. Should be fun. I'm interested to see where you'll take us as well. And then we can close out with, I don't know, maybe go with like a classic of this style or something. Or uh, well, real quick, Why Don't You Play in Hell is streaming on Peacock. Uh, Tubi. It's oh, on hey. Tubi. Tubi Hell once yeah. again. Plex. So yeah, easily accessible. Um, and it's a lot of fun. And we'll get into that next time. Sweet. Uh, let us know films that you've been watching that you think are cool. Send us more suggestions. We've yeah. gotten some great ones recently. All the ones this year have been super fun to do. We need to start filling up the supply for next year. Um, you can always hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter X, on Instagram. Email us at genreexposure at gmail.com. Hey, you may already have it, but we did mail out our first set of the um, stickers that have been much delayed. And, and much promised. And, and much promised and threatened. It's finally happened. And um, we made them a little extra special since we had to delay it for so long. <laughs> that just sounds kind of um, scary. <laughs> so I'll leave that to the recipients to discover. But um, in the future, we'll probably just be much swifter and just kind of keep it, keep it more reasonable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, if you do suggest us a movie and we cover it, we will get to you a genre exposure sticker somehow. A heavily coveted, rare genre exposure sticker. We can sticker. give it to you in person. That's an option. If not, if you'll provide a mailing address, we will happily mail you one. Mm-hmm. You could put it on your car. You could put it on your mirror. Bling out your life with a little genre exposure. Put it on your trapper keeper. You could put it wherever <laughs> you want. We won't judge. Uh-uh. But the people around you might. <laughs> That's the best part. <laughs> so all that being said, you have been listening to genre exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.